0: Freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, be to God. Thanks, Rich. So I wonder, have you ever done anything stupid that you knew? And people are laughing already. That you knew was stupid at the time, but you kind of just did it anyway, right? I'm, I'm not the only one, surely. I'm not the only one. Uh, I will share one such example with you. Uh, which is very embarrassing. Well, it's not embarrassing, but anyway, I'll say it anyway. Um, before Healy and I were married, Healy lived up in Col rain with her parents, and I lived in Belfast. And so, uh, you know, we were saving money for our wedding and uh, all that kind of stuff. And Healy was living up there and was, I guess, was finding it difficult, right? You were finding it good. Like, you know, away from her friends and all that kind of stuff. So we're on the phone one night, and Healy was a bit upset. And in an effort to comfort her, I said, and this is a couple of months before our wedding, so I said because I was trying to be kind, maybe you should, you know, be. I said, why don't you join a gym? Because I thought you could join a gym and meet some people. And she took this as, you know, I need to lose weight. Um, Now, and and that's not the worst thing. The worst thing went on was I said, look, if this is too stressful, we can postpone the wedding, (laughs) which no bride wants to hear, right? So I know, I, I mean, it was like I knew that I was doing something silly or saying something silly, but I couldn't stop myself. I had the knowledge, but I didn't apply it, right? I had all the information that you shouldn't say these things, but I didn't apply that knowledge. Anyone ever been in a situation like that? Yeah. I have many, many more stories that I could share, and it's usually about stuff that I say, because I say a lot of stupid things. But here's the point. Knowledge doesn't always make you smarter, and knowledge doesn't always make you wiser, right? Right? So think of the world that we live in today. We have more information available to us than any other people group in the history of humankind, in the history of the world. We can we can literally uh, on Friday night we were watching Graham Norton and I was able in the in a few seconds to find out the age of every person on the sofa on Graham Norton, because we have information available to us. But yet it's, somehow it seems like the world is getting dumber, doesn't it? Because wisdom doesn't, or sorry, having lots of knowledge doesn't always equal wisdom. Uh, and the co- the context of our of, of our of this letter that Paul is writing here, the book of Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in ancient Corinth. Well, Corinth was a city that was obsessed with, with, with knowledge and wisdom. Right, philosophy was really popular. Um, they believed that you could elevate yourself to a higher position in society by being better educated, by knowing more stuff. That if you didn't know that much, you, you weren't a, you were a, a lesser kind of you had a lesser place in society. Knowledge was power. The more educated you were, the higher you would rise up the social ladder, okay? But the problem was, for the church, is that that same attitude had infiltrated the church, that, that the, 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 the culture of the city around them had, uh, had infected the church, and they had become the very thing that they were supposed to be counter to, they were so obsessed with wisdom that Paul mentions the, the wisdom 15 times uh, in, in the last half of chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2. 15 times. And this obsession with wisdom had led the church to a bad place, right? We know this. Uh, we, we sometimes forget because he's not addressing it directly, but we're, he's, he's still addressing division in the church. They wanted to have wisdom. They wanted to be more spiritual. They wanted to be mature, and these are good things to strive for. But they were thinking about these things from like a human perspective. They were consumed with these things. They were consumed with the idea of elevating themselves above other less mature people. They had come to think that there were extra levels or, or secret knowledge or or the, of, of secret knowledge that you could gain. And all that had done was to lead them to a point where Paul could refer to them, as he does in, in chapter 3, verse 1, as infants. He says, you're infants in Christ, right? You're, you're behaving like kids. They were babies in the faith. The church was, complete, it was in complete disarray. This, this, desire to, this desire to be better through knowledge and wisdom had led them to a place where there's just a vision, That's why they were talking about who's the better teacher. I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. I follow Peter. Uh, My teacher's smarter than yours. That's what they were talking about. And then last week, we saw how... I've just lost all my notes. Don't know how I've done that. Um, Last week, we saw how Paul uh, showed them that actually the, the, the cross of Jesus is wisdom. In the world's eyes, the cross of Jesus is foolishness, that God would die. That's foolish. But real wisdom is the cross. And then Paul says, listen, I'm not coming to you in your terms. I'm not coming to you uh, to, 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 with, lo- he, he calls it lofty language. I'm not coming to you uh, with the, the best ideas. I'm not coming to you to, to show off my intellect and wisdom, my philosophy is better than yours. He just says, I, I come with the, the good news of Jesus. This is what he says in verse two of chapter two. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. He desired to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because the cross of Jesus, Jesus' death, is the wisdom of God. The cross of Jesus is the wisdom of God. And here's the point. There's nothing more we need than the cross of Jesus. There's nothing more to add. We don't believe that, you know, you believe the good news of Jesus and you become a Christian and then you have to try and work your way up some ladder by learning more and more stuff about Jesus. That's not how it works. Like having, having degrees and PhDs in theology, that doesn't add in to your salvation. You, you don't become more saved, right? All we have and all we need, the wisdom of God, is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, and I've said it before, and if you're new, you might not have heard me say it, but I'm going to keep saying it again and again. I said it on our first Sunday here, and it's something that goes right back to the beginning of the village. We have nothing to offer you except Jesus. And in offering you, Jesus, we offer you everything, because Christ is all. And the problem is that Paul says, you guys have forgotten this. You need to remember the gospel. Because you've forgotten this wisdom of God, that that Jesus died for you, your church is divided. You, You hate each other because you forgot the gospel. You need to know the wisdom of God. So here's the question I want to answer this morning. I want to answer, how can we know the wisdom of God? How can we know the wisdom of God? Well, firstly, we have to look at how we can't know the wisdom of God. And the first thing we see from this text this morning is that the wisdom of God can't be known through natural means, right? It's something outside of the natural realm of being. You can't study it in a lab. You can't absorb it mentally. You can't pick it up in a classroom. Look at verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. I'll come back to that. Although it is not a wisdom of this age, that means it's not like a worldly wisdom, it's not a human wisdom, or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Right? So, it's it's clear that Paul isn't completely down on wisdom. He's not saying that you shouldn't seek wisdom. In fact, the Bible has a whole book called Proverbs, which is dedicated to being wise. There is a wisdom that we should seek and speak about, but it's not wisdom as in like kind of getting more and more knowledge, right? And this is, it's the wisdom of God. It's, it's the wisdom of the cross of Jesus. And that's what we're going to unpack. But he also says that this wisdom of God is that, that he, that's Paul, and he says we... Paul and the other apostles teach to mature believers. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So I want to stop there for a second because maybe you don't feel like a mature Christian, okay? And I want to explore what that means for a second, and it won't take long. Mature, the mature here that Paul mentions aren't super smart, super holy, elite Christians, right? They're not Christians who are on another level from the rest of us. Paul says, and he, he kind of explains what he means by mature in Philippians chapter 3. I think it's on the screen. Verses 8 to 15. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because, Jesus, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So he's forgetting his old life. He's pressing on for the upward call of knowing Jesus. That means that he, he, he's, he, he's, he, he's aware of his own shortcomings. For, for Paul, maturity is to know that you're limited, to know that you haven't arrived yet, and to keep pressing forward, right? Maturity is this continual sense of knowing your need for Jesus. So the good news is, a brand new Christian can be mature in that sense. They might not have all the language or all the, the knowledge of the Bible or, or, or all that kind of stuff, but they can be acutely and beautifully aware that they need Jesus, and in the same sense, an old Christian, someone who's been a Christian for years and years and years, can be immature. You just plateau. You think, well, there's not much more for me to learn now. That's immature. Maturity is a process. It's not a stage or a, a level that we get to. And when we're immature, we don't realize our need for Jesus. And so we, we just start to re- rely on our natural wisdom. Maturity is knowing our need for God, knowing our need for Jesus, realizing we need the wisdom of God, and immaturity is is just relying on our own human understanding. And our human wisdom, our natural wisdom, is limited by three things. Firstly, Paul says in verse 6 that the, the wisdom of God is not the same as the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, which will eventually no longer exist. It's limited by time. In other words, everything that we know, everything that we think we know, all the powers, all the pars, all the the powerful people who think that they know everything, they will one day no longer exist. All the wisdom of human beings will no longer one will one day no longer exist, and we know this to be true, don't we? Think about it. Right, fifteen hundred years ago, everybody knew that the Earth was at the center of the universe. Everyone knew that. That was a fact. 500 years ago, everybody knew as a fact that the earth was flat. Some prayer fools still think that. Everybody knew that, but these, these things have been shown to be not true. So what I'm trying to show is that the things that we know and believe to be true based on our human understanding change and fade away. He, he, mentions, the, he mentions the rulers of this age, these powerful people. A few years ago, Healy and I were in Rome, and and you can literally stand in Rome and and look at the ruins of, of that great city. That was the home of democracy, the home of power, the home of wisdom, the home of philosophy, the home of art, the home of progressive society, and now it's just a big pile of rocks in a field. That's what it is, really. It's impressive, but it's gone. All human knowledge and wisdom and power will one day no longer exist. And Jesus says it like this in Luke chapter 21. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything comes to an end except his words. His words will never pass away. His words are the only sure thing. So the question is what are we trusting? What do we trust on? We trust in our own understanding? Our own limited view of things? Or we trust in God's eternal words? But let me, I just need to be clear for a second. There's nothing wrong with the pursuit of knowledge, right? God gave us a big world and an even bigger universe so that we could explore and cultivate. And those things are good things to do. In the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, God says to the very first human beings, He says, he, He tells them to fill and subdue the earth. It's literally the cosmos. That's our—he's given it to us, our gift, and we should go and explore and create and cultivate. Those things are good things: science, exploration, creativity. All these things should be done by us as human beings, but they should point us to the bigger reality. They should give glory to God. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens, that's the visible sky, the stars, the moon, the sun, all those kinds of things. That declares the glory of the Lord. So when we observe and explore, we need to give that glory to God. But this isn't what we do, is it? That's not what has happened. We see this in Romans chapter 1. It's on the screen, I think. Romans chapter 1 tells us for, his invisible, for, God, that his, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So people are without excuse. For, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. All of God's creation reveals God's eternal power, His, His divine nature. But what we've done is we've looked at the creation and we've, we've made that God. That's essentially what Paul's saying there in Romans. We've exchanged wisdom for foolishness. It's like we've, we've lost the ability to see the bigger picture. And this is exactly what the Corinthians were doing here. They forgot the gospel. They forgot the wisdom of God. And it's what we do, right? It's what, it's what our society is based on, isn't it? What the, the, biggest, the, the biggest, the ultimate authority in society right now is not governments or social movements. It's science. If you can't back anything up with science, then you don't have a, a leg to stand on. You don't have a case to make. And as Christians, we just accepted that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't appreciate science or shouldn't believe science. I think you should because I think God has given people brains so that we can discover stuff. But we need to be really careful that nothing takes over as our ultimate authority apart from God's word. Right? See, we don't interpret the world around. We don't interpret the the God through what we see in the world around us. We interpret the world around us through what God has revealed Himself to be in His in in His Word. Only God's wisdom is eternal. So we trust in his wisdom, not in human wisdom. It's limited by time. But secondly then, we see that that human wisdom is limited by our senses. Verse 9 says, um, let me read verse 9. But as it is written, he's quoting Isaiah here and he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul says this to show that just some things are out of reach for human understanding. Our eyes and our brains are perfectly designed and perfectly given so that we can experience and interpret the world around us. And those things are good, but the truth is there is more to reality than the natural world. And if you're a Christian, you believe that, right? There is more to reality than the natural world. You ever heard someone say, there must be more than this. Surely there's more than this. We were just talking about Halloween earlier. There is a general sense that there must be some other realm that isn't this realm. People know that because we've been made in the image of God and, and something within us uh, senses that there is more than what we see around us. C.S. Lewis, um, theologian and teacher and novel writer and all kinds of things, pipe smoker, he says this in, in this If you haven't read the book Mere Christianity and you want to find out about Christianity, read this book. It's incredible. But he says this, If I find, myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's how he sees it. And Paul's saying here that the understanding of the world, the human understanding, can give us a limited awareness. But only God can produce supernatural, the the spiritual work in the human heart. And this secret and hidden wisdom of God that he mentions here, that's nothing more than Jesus Christ crucified. That's it. The gospel of Jesus. And the reason he says it's, it's secret and hidden, the word that he used for here uh, is, is, is mystery. The Greek word is literally, it's a mystery. It means something like buried treasure, something to be discovered, something to be shown, something like, come and see this. This is the idea. Something mysterious I want you to come and see. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the wisdom of God. God has always had a plan to redeem his people and it has always been Jesus, Right? And it's been hidden for generations, but now it has been revealed in Jesus. The gospel wasn't plan B. Jesus wasn't like a backup plan. Okay? It wasn't like, oh, oh my goodness, we created a world that's great. Oh my goodness, now human beings have sinned against me. Uh, I better come up with another plan, Jesus. That's not how it worked. He, 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 says, he says in verse 7, that which God decreed before the, ages of, before the ages for our glory, before there even was time, the plan was always Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So uh, human understanding is limited by time, our senses. And thirdly then, human understanding is limited by our access. Okay, so what I mean by I'll explain what I mean by that. Is that in our natural state, outside of Jesus, we don't have relationship with God, right? And so we don't have access to Him. Verse 11 says, um, For who knows a person's thoughts? Except the spirit of that person, which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God. Um, the Thoughts of God, except the spirit of God. Okay. So Paul's saying here that you can never really know somebody. You can never really know what someone's thinking. You can never really know. You can only ever really know what you yourself are thinking, right? Honestly, our ability to know God is incredi- incredibly limited by our inability to really know what someone's thinking. And the, be- the closest we can come is relationship, okay? If I had never met my wife uh, and someone gave me her CV or uh, not a biography, I could read about her and I could know lots of stuff about her, but I wouldn't really know her, right? There's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And it's the same with God. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. I can have all the facts. I can know the Bible but I still might not know him. And the difference is relationship. I can confidently say that I know Haley because I have relationship with her, because I have intimacy with her. I know more than just a list of facts about her. I I know how she thinks. I know how she feels about things. I know how she's going to react to things most of the time. Why? Because I love her and she loves me. See, for the, the ancient Corinthians, the ancient thinkers, knowledge was all about the mind. But for Paul, knowing the wisdom of God is all about love. He says that at the end of verse 9, what God has prepared for those who love him. See, true knowing somebody truly, true knowledge of a person is about having an inner, deep, personal understanding of them. That's why we we can know people in different ways. We can read the Bible... We can know a lot of stuff in our minds about God, but if we don't have a relationship with him, a personal experience of him, then we don't know him. So this creates a problem for the Corinthians, doesn't it? The church was in disarray. There was division and disunity. And Paul says it's all because they've forgotten this wisdom of God. You, you, you've forgotten the gospel and you've replaced it with limited human wisdom but the problem is, to know God, we need to have intimacy with Him. We need to have a relationship with Him. So, how can mere human beings have intimate relationship with the infinite God of the universe? How does that work? How can that happen? How could we ever meet God at His level so that we could know Him? And the answer is, we can't. There's nothing nothing we have, nothing we can do that means that we could ever meet God at His level and have a relationship with Him. It just can't happen. But here's the thing, we can know God because God makes himself known to us, right? We can't ascend to God, but because he loves us, he condescends or he, he comes down to our level. This is the, what the gospel is, this is the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that, that, that Jesus is God stooping down to our level, The man, the person of Jesus Christ was God come to earth to meet us, fallen and broken humanity and meet us at our level where we were and raise us up to be in relationship with him. That's the good news of the gospel. God became one of us and lived with us and died as one of us because he loves us and he wanted to be in relationship with us. And the most amazing part of the story is that he ended the brokenness of the human condition by being raised from the dead. The human condition is that we all die. That's the one thing that's constant. And Jesus breaks that human condition by being raised from the dead as one of us. Amen. Amen. And if you believe this, then you're saved. God meets us at our level. And, And I'm so thankful he does because if he didn't meet us at our level we would be lost forever wouldn't we this is how he makes himself known to us and it's the only way that we can know him is because he makes himself known to us the only way to know God personally is to believe that we are known personally by God here's the thing God came for us and wants to know us and wants to be known by us he made the first move He makes all the moves. He doesn't sit around and wait for us uh, to show an interest in him. And the amazing thing is that this is available to anyone, right? Just accept that Jesus died and rose again from the dead so you could have a relationship with God. And if you've never accepted Jesus, that's our invitation this morning. And hopefully in a, in a few minutes you'll see why it's such a good thing. Believe that Jesus died for you. Believe and be saved. Believe and have a relationship with God. It's that simple. So we can't know God without having a relationship with God. And God comes down to us through Jesus so we can have a relationship with him. But how does that relationship work? How is it that, how is it that just by believing that this event happened, that Jesus rose from the dead, how is it that just by believing that event happened that we are then able to have knowledge of the wisdom of God? How does that work? We'll see the answers in verses 12 to 14. This is all part of our answer of how to know the wisdom of God. Verses 12 to 14. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, Okay, so what he means by that is we haven't received the ability to gain lots of facts and wisdom and all that kind of stuff, but we've received the spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. We've received the Holy Spirit, and I'll explain that in a second. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. In other words, if you don't have the the Holy Spirit, then these things are foolish. And the unspiritual person is not able to understand them because they are, they are spiritually discerned. There's a lot of stuff in there and I want to explain it. Basically what he's saying is, when we believe in Jesus, the reason we can know God and know the wisdom of God is because when we believe that Jesus died and rose again for us, God's gift to us is that he gives us the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so I want to be clear for a second because we're all at different stages and some of this language is confusion. God is three persons. He's one in essence. He's the same, but he's three persons. God is God the Father. God is God the Son. And God is God the Holy Spirit. And that's what what is called the Trinity. And so what happens is when we trust in the work that Jesus has done, that he died for us and that he rose again from the dead so that we could know God, then when we believe that, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that you, however, okay, so you as in Christians, he's talking to Christians, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So anyone who believes in Jesus belongs to him, and if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you are the home of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes we, we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, do we? We, we? you know Last week we baptized people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know the Father, we know the Son, but the Holy Spirit, we're a bit confused. Like, what is he, some kind of force? Is it a weird thing? But no, he's a person. And as we go through the, uh, we go through the rest of 1 Corinthians in the coming months, we're going to learn even more about the Holy Spirit. But the basis of it all is that the, the Holy Spirit is God and he dwells with us. That's how we can know God. And it's the Holy Spirit who allows us to understand all that God has given to us through Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit is vital for our salvation. Because without the Holy Spirit, we couldn't know God. It's only because God is three persons that we can know him. Think about it. If God were just one person, God would always just be at his unknowable level, right? And they would just be out of reach. Because there would be no Father to send the Son. There would be no Son to come and die for us and and be raised again from the dead for us. And there would be no Holy Spirit to make God's plan of salvation known to us. So we owe our knowledge of God's salvation to the Holy Spirit. And we just forget Him all the time, don't we? The Father sends, the Son does the work, and the Holy Spirit makes it known to us. The Holy Spirit is God literally dwelling with us making us home with us. That's what the word dwell means. He makes us home with us. And the Holy Spirit is able to make God known to us because he is God. He's one, he, he is God. I was going to say he's part of God, but God doesn't have parts. He is God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And he knows God because he is God, just in the same way as you know yourself. You know your own thoughts. And because he's God and because he dwells with us, he's able to impart all this knowledge and understanding of who God is and and what God has done for us to us. Isn't that incredible? You know what this means? It means that knowing God, understanding God, appreciating God, it's all his work from start to finish. I can't claim that I've worked up some extra understanding of who God is. Or, 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 or Jesus working the cross. I can't claim that because it's the Holy Spirit that does that work for me. He's the one that shows me the wisdom of God. He's the one who shows me who God is. It's only through God that I can know God. Now remember, this letter isn't written to an individual. It's not written to you know, someone who, who needs to hear from Paul. It's written to the church community. The church community probably much like us. Except probably less togas and less incest, hopefully. Um, that's not a joke. We're going to get to that in a while. <laughs> it's written to the church community. And Paul is describing how the Holy Spirit works and revealing who God is to the church community. And this is really important for us to know. In verses 12 to 14... He uses um, six verbs, six words to describe the work of the Holy Spirit among two groups of people. He, talks, uh, uh, he, he, he um, hints at teachers and hearers in the community. Okay, so I think we have a slide for this. Um, let me just read these uh, verses again so we're not uh, getting lost here. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit who is from God, that we might understand, that's one of the verbs, Uh, the things freely given to us by God. And we impart, that's teach, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And interpreting, that's another one, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what's going on here? It seems like Paul is saying, To the teachers in the community, the Holy Spirit gives the ability to know, declare, and explain the wisdom of God. That's what the teachers are given there for. That's what the apostles were given to the church for that they could know, and they could declare, and they could explain. And then for the hearers in the community, in the church community, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to receive that and understand it and, and appreciate that. This word discern, in the Greek, it means something like explore, right? We, we go and explore it and we can appreciate it. And by the way, just so you know, sometimes in the church community, firstly I would say uh, uh, teachers are always hearers. So we're always learning. But also, sometimes hearers become teachers as well. So when you're in your MC setting or something like that, and you're uh, sharing ideas, like, I I mean, just on Wednesday night, I was learning incredible things from Chloe, for example, because she she became the teacher in that situation. It's an incredible thing. And when the church functions in this way, and when the church works in that way, when the church is uh, listening to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit lead... It leads us to grow in spiritual maturity and actually heals divisions, the divisions that were so rife. And we're going to come back to the divisions next week again. This is how we have spiritual maturity. By knowing the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit leading us. And this is why I think Paul must have been frustrated with the Corinthians. And probably if he was here, he'd be frustrated with us too. Because they had access to God, but they were just relying on their own wisdom. They were seeing their lives and seeing the church just through their own trying to make sense of it. They, they weren't relying on the Holy Spirit. They weren't seeing the way God had gifted them to, to be able to see things. And they were staying as babies. And I, I just wonder, how often do we do this? How often do I do this? Like what are, the, what are the ways in your life, think about it, that you just rely on your own wisdom and your, and, and your own understanding and, and, and stop yourself from maturing in your relationship with Jesus? It's so easy to fall into this way of thinking. So often in life, our frustrations come and our, our, our disappointment comes because we're, we're not trusting the wisdom of God. This isn't the way I thought it would be. This isn't the way I wanted it to be. Well, you're not seeing it the way God sees it, the way that he's enabled us to see things. We can't understand the circumstances that we find ourselves in no matter how hard we try. And so we just get disillusioned and maybe bitter and, uh, and about whatever's going on because it doesn't conform to our way of thinking. We're trying to see things through our own understanding. And as long as we keep thinking this way, we're going to keep being frustrated. But here's the thing. What God is saying to us here is that he has given us his spirit. He has given us himself. So that we can understand and so that we can enjoy. So you don't have to go on being disillusioned. You don't have to stay frustrated and confused. God has given us a way of seeing the world and our circumstances, whatever they may be. So that we can see exactly what he is doing. So we can see and understand and enjoy the wisdom of God. It may not make sense to you, but God is doing things. And if we see it through his eyes, then it makes sense and we can enjoy it. Look at verse 15. He says, um, oh, let me see here. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The spiritual person, when he talks about that in this passage, the spiritual person is not, you know, what we might think of spiritual, really holy, you know, like, you know, sitting in your room praying all the time. The, the whole, although you should sit in your room pray all the time. Um, <laughs> The spiritual person is someone who believes in Jesus and therefore has received the Holy Spirit. That's what he means. In the Greek, it's literally someone who has spirit. And the word here for judge, when he says that the spiritual person judges all things, it's the same word as we looked at before, discern or examine. So what does this mean? It means that because we believe in Jesus, we've received the Holy Spirit, and so we can discern what God is doing. That's it. We don't have to be limited by our own understanding anymore. We don't have to see our circumstances just through our human eyes. We can see the broader picture and take comfort and joy. Man, this is the life that's available to you. If you trust Jesus, you don't have to see things in this limited, narrow way anymore and be disillusioned and sad and and confused and frustrated. Uh, Just last week, uh, friends of ours, I can't say this without getting emotional, had to say goodbye to their wee nephew. And if you're looking at that just, just through human eyes, you're going it doesn't make sense that a wee baby should be sick his whole life and then die. That doesn't make sense. But I was texting my friend he said this. I just asked him how he was doing and he said um, I won't say his name but he's with Jesus now and he's not suffering anymore. Think of the impact he's made on everyone who knew his name. That when the only way you can have that outlook is if you have the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's discerning that horrible situation through the mind of Christ. Right? That's not just trying to understand that painful situation through human understanding. And this is what God gives to us. And when we do this, you know what, everyone's going to think we're crazy. They will. They just don't understand it. This is what Paul says that... that um, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. People who don't believe in Jesus can't understand why you could take something like that and see the positives of it or see the bigger picture. That just doesn't make sense. It's weird. But when we believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we can discern, we can understand what God is doing, even through the most painful situations. What a gift. Like, I mean, we don't deserve that. So what does all this look like then? And I'm done. What does it it mean to know the wisdom of God? Paul finishes uh, this section in verse 16 with these words. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Now this doesn't mean that we have some kind of supernatural, mind-blowing experience where we all, we know everything, right? Okay? It's not like suddenly... We believe in Jesus and we see all of time and space and history spread out before us. That's not what's happening. He's not saying that we know everything that Christ knows. But what Paul means is that when we trust in the death of Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit who gives us understanding of the wisdom of God. And so we take on the same way of thinking that Jesus has. That's it. We have the same mindset as Christ. The Holy Spirit reconfigures the way we think so that we can know God and see the world with the same heart and the same eyes that God sees the world. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 uh, tells us what this way of thinking looks like. Excuse me, got a bit of a cold. I think it's on the screen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what having the mindset of Christ looks like. Can you see why having the mind of Christ is so important when Paul is writing to a divided church? Why it's so important for us to have the mind of Christ? Because having the mind of Christ is is centered on community life. Having the mind of Christ is is other people focused. It's outwardly centered. Having the mind of Christ is about putting other people before yourself. It's about emptying yourself. It's about dying to yourself. It's about self-sacrifice for the good of those who love you. Or the good of those you love. In other words, uh, having the mind of Christ is having a cruciform mind. That means having a way of thinking that's shaped by the cross of Jesus, right? We sometimes say it this way. It's to see the world through the lens of the gospel. So having the mind of Christ is to see the world through the lens of the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, we find that we have deep peace and joy that can only come from him. This is why Paul says in verse seven that all of this is for our glory. You may have skipped those wee words, which God decreed before the ages for who? For our glory. This is entirely God's gift to us. God has always had a plan to glorify us, his children. And when we believe in Jesus, we know that one day we're going to share in his glory. That is mind-boggling. So let me challenge us this morning. I want us all to be challenged. Do you look at Jesus and just analyze him? Do you look at God and you're like weighing up the pros and cons or the different things about him? Are you just trying to figure him out? Get as much information as possible? Or or, or my challenge is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Are you trusting the wisdom of God or are you just trying to get by in your own understanding? Because through the sacrifice of Jesus, God's inviting us to so much more. He's inviting us to a life of peace, a life of understanding the very depths of God. There's peace and joy and contentment that maybe you're after that is only found in Jesus. Jesus died and rose again so that we could be in relationship with God. And he's given us his spirit so that we can understand him. He enters our lives and he he forms real relationships with himself. So, you don't have to be uh, burdened by frustration or confusion or, or, or any of those things anymore. Just come to Jesus. Maybe you need to come to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to come to Jesus uh, again. In fact, you do need to come to Jesus again. Remember this again that, that, that God loves us, so He sent us His Son, and He gives us His Spirit so that we could know Him. Isn't that incredible? And then we can enjoy this freedom that only the Holy Spirit can give us. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to uh, come to the table.